Innings Podcast, presented by the Seattle Times. Your host is Seattle Mariners beat writer Ryan Divish. This semi-weekly slash monthly slash whenever he gets around to it podcast talks about the Mariners, Major League Baseball, food, and whatever else Ryan and his guests decide to talk about. And now, here's your host, Ryan Divish. Okay, welcome to the Extra Innings Podcast. Um, this is take two of the o- opening intro. Um, I recorded one last evening and I was going to publish it this morning along with the full podcast because I talked to Larry Stone yesterday, uh, which was Monday. And then I was going to have a podcast up and ready to go this morning about 10 o'clock for everybody to have. And then the news of Tim Beckham getting suspended for 80 games for testing positives for Stanazolol came out. And so I had to scrap the intro to this podcast so I could get that news in as well. Um, So that is the news of... Tuesday. I'm recording this about 4:30 in the afternoon here at the Mariner at T-Mobile Park. Uh, came up here just for some reaction on that, which we didn't get much of. Um, you know, the, the the suspension for Tim Beckham, the testing positive. I'm I'm never. I guess I'm I've gotten numb to players testing positive before. I was really, I albeit I was admittedly shocked when Robinson Cano tested positive because uh, last year because I just knew how much his reputation in terms of uh, the Hall of Fame meant to him and to put that at risk or at jeopardy. I don't know if I believe his excuse that he had. But anyway, so that one caught me by surprise. Now I'm just kind of like, whatever. It happens. Uh, Players try and cheat the system. Players uh, do dumb things. Um, Tim Beckham's excuse was that he got a supplement uh, from what he considered to be a close and trusted friend and the supplement, or the supplement, or whatever he got, was tainted uh, with stanozolol. Um, you can believe him or not. I mean, that's a common excuse we've heard now for players that test positive is that they didn't weren't willfully taking a substance that had performance-enhancing drugs, but they, you know, were misled or took it accidentally. So that's where we're at with that. Um, to be honest, Beckham was going to probably be designated for assignment uh, in the coming days. I mean, honestly, and I know Larry and I discussed this a little bit in uh, in our interview, but I was expecting Jake Fraley to be uh, called up today and then having Beckham DFA'd. Um, but Fraley's on a seven-day DL right now in Tacoma with a quad strain or quad tightness. So I don't know when they're going, if that's pushed his, his uh, target date for being called up back, obviously. Um, but, yeah, I didn't think that Beckham would be on the team much longer. Uh, he just didn't really have a place. You know, they weren't playing him in the infield at all. They were playing him in the outfield, which he's not an outfielder, as you notice watching him try and play the outfield. And I think Larry and I laugh about it, his diving attempt or whatever. But, um, no, so he he is he was not really a part of this going forward. What's weird is, you know, he only made about, I think, $1.65 million. A $1.75 million per Spotrack this season. And he had another year of arbitration eligibility next year. Uh, and so he probably would have been eligible, to, you know, if the Mariners had kept him about, you know, probably f- close to $4 million next year through arbitration adjustment. Because he did have a relatively productive year, even with how bad his uh, um, May and June were. But... I think he was a candidate to be non-tendered anyways because he just he doesn't really have a position. It's kind of odd. You know, he was a shortstop. He was the first overall draft pick, and now he's just he, – he can't – that was in 2008. He just does not play 
shortstop. He cannot play shortstop anymore. You, you might be able to get away with one game there, using him as a utility player, a super utility player, but he just didn't really have a fit. I think people were wondering, well, why did they sign him? Well, he was a placeholder until J.P. Crawford was, one, met the kind of, got past the the date in May for his uh where his extra year of free agency, they added extra year of free agents, just service time manipulation, basically. So there was a date in May for that. But the Mariners also weren't sure whether or not Crawford was going to be ready. They asked him to do a lot of changes to his defense, his swing, and they wanted him to play in Tacoma to work that out. They weren't going to be certain if he was ready. But um, Beckham, you know, he forced them to make that trade because he was so bad defensively. He's great offensively. He put up, uh, I think uh, an OPS over a thousand in the first month of the season, but he was just so abysmal defensively they didn't have any choice but to, to call up Crawford. And so, you know, then also the Mariners were also hedging a little bit. Like, you know, they had Dylan Moore as their opening day utility guy, but there was a good chance that Dylan Moore might not have, you know, had success in that role. So then, you know, they could have used Beckham in that role and sent Moore to AAA if there was more struggles. So, you know, Beckham was never a part of the future plans, even if they have control of him next year. But it was just kind of a stopgap fill-in. And somebody was like on Twitter said, well, you know, you should have went out and got a quad A guy to play there. He is kind of essentially that. He's just a little bit above a quad A guy. I mean, and you're not paying that much money for him, which is crazy to think that $1.75 million isn't. And I also think that the Mariners thought maybe if he played really well, they could move him for some minor piece uh, in the at the deadline, but now he is suspended for 80 games. Uh, his locker was cleaned out here at T-Mobile, so we did not get a talk to him. Um, I don't know that we'll ever see him again. I, I assume that he'll be released or non-tendered, um, and he'll just sit on the suspended list. The Mariners have an open uh, spot on the 40-man because of that, and then also they they lost David McKay as well. Uh, to a waivers claim as they're trying to open up spots for these kids that are going to get called up in September. Uh, as part of the roster moves, they brought up um, uh, Tim Lopes off the activated Tim Lopes off the the seven day concussion list, and they also activated Brandon Brennan from the IL and option Gerson Batista out um, from a news standpoint. Also, so we just talked to Scott Service, so I can give you some of the stuff. Felix Hernandez will pitch Thursday. In Modesto with the Nuts, which I can only imagine Felix in the Cal League. Uh, as part of his, it'll be his second rehab start. They're expecting him to throw about 50 pitches. Um, Mitch Hanniger, D. Gordon, Braden Bishop, they're all working out with the Mariners pregame today. They'll work out with them tomorrow. Some of them, you know, I would assume some of them will work out through the weekend in that series. And then you will see these guys go out on rehab assignments. D will probably only go out. He could go out as soon as Thursday or Friday play a couple games and be back. I think Hanager and Bishop, obviously, for the amount of time they were gone out, they've been missing. They'll probably work out through the weekend and then go out first thing next week, and they'll play extended time in rehab assignments um, as they ease them into playing, too. You'll probably see them go every other day, DH day, stuff like that. So we won't see them, I guess, till September 1st, because then you, you just wait till September 1st to get the, the, as, the roster expansion, if possible, or as close to September 1st as you can. So that the, that's kind of the news of the day, obviously the Tim Beckham thing. Um, so Larry and I, our conversation was just kind of about recapping the, the abysmal series in Houston and getting no hit for a second time. We also discuss uh, Felix and his future with the Mariners, uh, based off that story I wrote a few weeks ago. And then we also kind of recapped our, our trip to Cooperstown. Um, 
So that's it. That's the music's playing me out. So we got to go. Let's get to Larry Stone. Let's welcome in Larry Stone. Larry, is it hot in your place right now? <laughs> it's pretty hot. We don't have air conditioning here, so. Uh, but you're coming from Houston, so I'm, I imagine you don't have much sympathy uh, for for our 85 degree whining. Uh, well, yeah, I mean Houston was Amazon hot because of the humidity, but like every place has air conditioning. So while you you do sweat when you go outside and walk anywhere. You go into the state, everything else is climate controlled. And in, in fact, some places are borderline cold because they crank up the, the air conditioning so much. I I know I had my air conditioning. It was probably worse in Dallas because it was like 101 every day. And I had my air conditioning cranked up so high in my hotel room that I woke up with sore throats every morning because I just, <laughs> it was like at 63 degrees in there. Yeah, I always, that that's, that's where I invariably catch a cold is when I'm, in like a really hot place and you go in and out of the air conditioning or you have it too high or whatever, like you just said. So, um, yeah, whenever I'm in a place like Houston or Atlanta, I always seem to come away with a cold, which seems counterintuitive, but, uh, I think we just sort of explained how it happens. Yeah. I got, uh, well, Houston, uh, you know, they continue to build up that downtown area. They added these kind of, you know, like, those European dining halls or whatever, those like fancy food courts that they now have kind of on South Lake Union that we go to. They've added a couple of those in downtown Houston with some really cool places. I, I, I can't believe how different Houston is downtown wise from the first time we ever went there when I thought to myself, oh, my God, I got to come here three <laughs> times a year. To, it's like so much better. It's probably, you know, and it's not saying much given the ALS, but it's probably one of the better trips in terms of actually having places to go and stuff to do outside of the ballpark when you're not working. Do you still is is Papados still a, a must go, or has that been knocked off by some of the new places? Yeah, no. There's this place called Treebeards that we still go to, and yeah, and I went there with you. Yeah, yeah. and uh, there's a few other places. Yeah, so it was it was good. Um, it was much better than the baseball. So, hmm. I mean, on Saturday night, I I don't know if you were watching. I know we were messaging because I was complaining about having to cover a second no hitter and what how Mariners fans were going <laughs> to react to that, but. Um, <sighs> Were you stunned? Were you surprised? <laughs> it's funny. I was out at the Huskies and the practice had ended and I was in the media room and there's a TV in there and I just checked the box score and it was one out in the fifth inning and I, and I looked at the hits and it said zero. So I announced to the room, Mariners are big, no hit. And then so we uh, started paying attention more to the game. Uh, and I cannot say that I'm surprised. No. Um, I mean, uh, a little surprised about who was pitching a guy who'd been what? Owen 13 in his last 19 starts at Sanchez. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, it just, it, it, the, the way the Mariners have been hitting of late in games, not against the Detroit Tigers. Uh, I can't say that I was, I was too surprised. You know, what was amazing about that game is they didn't like, you know, in a lot of no hitters, you have to have like the the dynamic play or you know a couple plays that have to save the no hitters there was no saving in that mm -hmm. i mean they had 
two balls with exit velocity is over 100 miles an hour. That means they didn't hit anything hard. Yeah. I, w- I wonder if, you know, people were asking if how many teams had been no hit twice in a season and you had all the stats. What was it, 14 or something like, like that? Like 11, I think. 11. But I wonder, I would wager to say that no team had been has been no hit by more pitchers in the same season oh, yeah. Than the Mariners. yeah no, eight. <laughs> yeah i can't yeah the combined no hitters or whatever no because it was only two in in houston and four so six total or two in anaheim two in anaheim they had an opener in the, the back guy and then four in houston okay so six yeah, six, yeah I, yeah I don't know that there had been a team that had been no hit by combined twice in a season so it's, it's amazing like well and it was kind of funny i was looking at the last time it happened it was 2015. The Mets and Dodgers both had it happen. The Dodgers had it happen in a span of 10 days, nine days yeah. exactly. Um, Mike Fires in his first no hitter, and then um, and then it was Jake Arrieta when he was with the Cubs, and I, that was I think his Cy Young season. So yeah, that that was pretty bad. And then you look at those teams. The Mets won 90 games that year and won the NL East. The Dodgers won 92 and won the NL West. The Mariners might win 60, and they ain't winning anything. <laughs> so you have them losing 102 huh <laughs> i don't know it's i think you know they i was looking to see how many teams they play <coughs> excuse me teams they play against with a losing record but i don't yeah, know I, I was checking out their schedule too and they have a lot of games against teams that are even worse than them you've got detroit still with three you got six against toronto and toronto is terrible now and they got rid of you know a couple of their best players <laughs> mm-hmm. and they also have uh baltimore again uh and i think that's going to be their salvation as far as not losing 100 games is that they play about 12 games against teams that are going to lose 105 to 115 games because <laughs> um, they also have a, a couple of series with uh or I guess one series with no two two series with Houston, <laughs> Oakland. That's going to be they they finish with four against an Oakland team that might need to win those to to make the wild card. You know that that's an incredibly tight race right now. So yeah, they got uh, they're six gonna, against the Rays, six against the Rays, and yeah. three against the um, Yankees as well. Yeah, and well, they also have Pittsburgh, which is collapsing yeah. badly. So uh, I think they're going to squeak by in the nineties, but. Uh, one thing you know, you wrote about it, and we talked about it a little bit, is the disparity between the Astros and the Mariners has never been more pronounced than it was in this series. I mean, it's like two teams from another, from different planets. <laughs> I mean, uh, the, the Astros right now are so loaded and so good, and I mean, they've got a, an unbelievable rotation. And the Mariners didn't even face uh, Grinky or Cole. Um, the lineup top to bottom is just loaded. You know, the bullpen is maybe their vulnerability, but it's still light years ahead of the Mariners. And you, you just, the, those two lineups, it was, it's so stark about how far the Mariners have to go to get there that I think it was really kind of instructive. Yeah, it was, it was pretty glaring. I mean, Carlos Correa is hitting sixth and Yuli Gurriel is hitting seventh in that lineup. That's pretty absurd. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Gurriel was an American League Player of the Month in uh, in July. Uh, yeah, I mean, 
they have threats up and down the order, and the Mariners barely have threats at all anywhere in the order. So I mean, like, they, yeah, go ahead. No, it's, yeah, you're right. It's just it's so striking. It's like I, I think I said it on the radio. I think I, two teams playing the same game, but not in quite the same way. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it also to me it shows in a way that Depoto made the right decision in. Uh, in in breaking up the team and stepping back because the the, the Astros are going to win 105 games this year maybe the Mariners had no prayer of catching them so as we've said many times the, the best case they had was a second wild card and when you look at teams like uh, the A's and um, the Rays and uh, you know they they had very little chance of that either so. Uh, this was going to be if they had gone for it and, with the, and kept guys like Paxton and Diaz and Cano and the like. Uh, I think they would be they would have maybe not as bad a record as they have now, but they would have a bad record and no farm system. And so, you know, painful as it is, biting the bullet for for the, the question now becomes though how fast and they turn it around and that's a really important question and I, you and I both think it's going to be longer than they than they think it is or say it is and uh, so that's a whole other argument but they weren't going anywhere with what they had uh, against the teams that they are going against oh no it was it's it was the right decision um you know it was the right decision how they sold it maybe not have been the right way and and how they um They've implemented it this season. Maybe not. Might not be the right way. It was kind of striking. I was joking. I think I mentioned this too. I had to just do a radio hit. But you know, in one of those games, I think the Mariners had six players on the field that were either rookies or had spent time in AAA this season because of they started there or because they were bad enough to get sent back. And versus that team, that collection of borderline all stars. Yeah, I mean they have three players on their roster right now that were pitching or that were acquired from the independent baseball organizations. <laughs> yeah, it's reclamation products uh, projects up and down the order now. You know, uh, court. Uh, I mean, I look at the bullpen now, and I honestly don't know who these guys are. I, or, I mean, I can't keep up with all the comings and goings. Matt McGill and Zach Grotz and uh, Matt Whistler and. And Reggie McLean, I mean, who are these guys? And where? I mean, they all have compelling stories. And when you look into them, uh, you can't help but, you know, sort of feel heartwarmed by some of these guys making it to the major leagues. But it also leaves you with an incredibly, uh, you know, vulnerable uh, roster with a bunch of guys who, you know, by all rights, are shouldn't be in the major leagues. And here they are comprising your bullpen. I mean, even somebody like Dylan Moore wasn't project. He was a. Uh, I think they got him on like a advanced waiver claim. He was going to be DFA'd because he wasn't protected. So you have Austin Nola, Dylan Moore, Ryan Court, Keon Broxton um, got Broxton, designated. Tom, uh, Murphy, Tom Murphy, yeah. Matt Whistler, uh, Reggie McLean wasn't going. You know, there was a chance I had heard within the organization that Reggie McLean was almost released last year because he wasn't progressing fast enough. So Reggie McLean, Matt McGill, Zach Groats, I mean, and Anthony Bass was a was in AAA and basically walked out of his contract or opted out of his contract, so they were able to get him. I mean, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's I mean, like these stories are really nice that we're writing. Like it was 
really great moment for Ryan Court and Reggie McLean, you know, driving Uber Eats. And they're great stories. But, I mean, the Mariners, you know, there's like five or six of them because the Mariners are so bad that they're giving you these guys that probably otherwise wouldn't make it a chance to have these stories. Right. And for every one we've mentioned, there's like six others who have come and gone yeah. already, you know. Yeah. Parker Markle and uh, well, Taylor mean, Scott and you know those guys. Tim Lopes is go- Tim Lopes is going down that Archibald Moonlight Graham thing, you know, where he played in like freaking two game or played in one game and doesn't officially have enough bat because he walked and got hit in the head. <laughs> I think he got one. I'm looking at it, he got one at bat. Oh yeah, one at uh, bat. Oh yeah, no, he flew yeah. out or something. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Moonlight. That would be hilarious. Uh, no, not hilarious, but that would be incredible if that stands his, yeah. his career. But I mean, yeah, this poor guy, he's the heart. He's the heartwarming story of the day. And then he gets hurt and up comes court. And suddenly, uh, sorry, Tim, we've got an even more heartwarming story. Here. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. now we got Reggie McLean driving Uber Eats, you know, and before it was Austin Nola living in his brother's shadow. And it was just a pickup yeah. randomly. Like Austin Nola was picked up to be the backup catcher at AAA Tacoma. He was picked yeah. up to be the backup. And then he ended up playing better than Lobaton. And because he can play first base, you know, he ended up getting a weird call up because Ryan Healy's hurt. And, you know, like Braden Bishop and Ryan Healy, even shed long, I mean, their injuries have really cost themselves opportunities. Ryan Healy will probably get non-tendered this year. I don't think they'll bring him back because – Well, yeah. he's having surgery, right? Yeah. I mean, Hip I mean surgery. that's – Yeah, and he's got that – So is this not related to the back thing or is they, it all – They must think, all like, Yeah, they think it's all kind of related somehow. But we've talked before about how ominous that injury is. Yeah. So I, I, I worry about the, the, the future of his career. And then you have um, – Fraley, did you mention Fraley? I mean, he's uh, he, he was yeah. all due for a comeback, a call up rather, and now he uh, he's on the DL. It's incredibly bad luck with those guys. Yeah, I think honestly, I think they the plan was they were going to call him up tomorrow and let him make his debut tomorrow against the Padres, and now they have to put that on hold. So, which is too bad for Fraley. I mean, he's going to be up eventually, but. Uh, I don't understand why Tim Beckham is on the team. I think we we talked about this in the last podcast, but they're putting him. Yeah. He's so bad in the field. They're putting him out in left field, and it's really when he he tried to die for that ball yesterday and just laid there in the grass. There were yeah. people laughing in the press box. Wasn't me. I didn't <laughs> laugh, but there were there, sure. no. There were Astros writers that were laughing about it because he looked so awkward doing it too. You know, it's it's really interesting. Uh, this one trade deadline has eliminated the chance for guys like, I mean, I mean, I'm not saying Beckham to anyone would want Beckham, but you know, I, I could see uh, maybe on August 31st, a team has an injury and they could use a veteran bat and, and they, they could dump a guy like him or, or a Santana or, or something like that. Uh, I'm not sure that I like the, the, the rule that says there's no outlet to, to, to get rid of a player after July 31st. Um, you know, I'm not sure if, if I think they should at least extend it to, to August 15th um, because, uh, you know, the, the, the idea is to make teams decide whether they're in it or out or not in it. But sometimes that emerges in August and you act accordingly. And now you, you don't have that option. Yeah, a good segue into the trade deadline, by the way. Yeah, I think it should be back probably the 15th, even the 18th or something like that. Give them a little more time. That was pure chaos. 
on that yeah. day. I mean, it was chaos, you know, and and it just was like, you know, the Mariners pushed send on the Mike Leak trade with 68 seconds left before the deadline. I mean, what the <laughs> hell? Yeah, that reminds me of when they, they met, when the Mariners traded Randy Johnson to Houston. That one was like uh, that. That the, the deadline was midnight then. Can you? Which uh, that was bad news for for those of us in our profession because even with the time difference, it was nine o'clock at night, and uh, at least the now it's what um, what time is it? Pacific time, one, one o'clock Pacific. One Pacific. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, but it was the, the Mariners traded Randy Johnson, I think, at like eight fifty nine our time. So um, it just happens sometimes that these things go down to the wire. But uh, I did not envy you having to to keep track of all that. What do you uh, think of the trades? The Mariners traded Rolandis Elias, and who we thought would be traded, Hunter Strickland, who I didn't think pitched enough to be traded, but they traded him for three relievers. Any thoughts on that? One thing I wanted to ask you was. I was I was just wondering was was that like did it start out as two separate trades and they just decided to lump them together we'll just say it's one trade or 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 were they a package deal It was ended up being a package deal at the end like they at the end the the Nationals just asked about they they had the kind of the parameters in place for mm-hmm. um for Elias which was Gilbo and then the young kid that is a conversion pitcher and then the I think the Nationals saw they weren't getting any right-handed help, so they mm-hmm. asked about Strickland, and, and the Mariners asked him to throw in that other prospect. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I it's a nice little – I thought it was a decent package. You got two players in the Nationals' top 30. I don't know how great the National system is, but they both throw hard. I mean, you got something. I mean, Elias wasn't going to be a factor for you, and Strickland, I, I guess you could have tried to wait and see if his value is any higher, but you don't know that either. Yeah, I was I was underwhelmed. I mean, yeah, you got you had a couple of lottery picks, which are I guess are always good to get. You know, young guys who may have some upside uh, in both deals. But uh, I'm you know, Leak, a little surprised he they couldn't get more for him. You know, in the big picture, because he's so you know you can he's a true innings eater and he goes six innings almost every time out and he's been pitching pretty well but uh he was just not attractive to a lot of teams and you basically ended up what they get a single a guy who's on the injured list for him no uh, he's playing now um but yeah okay. I, I mean he's just i mean i don't i knew they were never going to get anything for leak given the money owed and even as much as they ate it's like i mean leak isn't like a game changer for a lot of teams, but there are teams that still need depth. I mean, you know, you look at these teams now and and it's kind of funny. It's amusing. But with that, you were mentioning like, there's no, no August trade, no waiver trades. The Yankees just had like three guys get hurt in that series with the Red Sox. I mean, they're, you know, Mike Ford is their starting DH right now. Yeah. I mean, like who would have thought that Cameron Maben, who, you know, he, he, He's a great guy, but he didn't really make much of an impact with the Mariners, and now he's a key player for the New York Yankees, who have the, you know, the best, the second best record in baseball. Uh, it's it's amazing, um, a that that happened, and, and 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 another example of somebody who who leaves Seattle and suddenly <laughs> finds himself. Uh, uh, you know, Wayne Miley, and uh, I got a couple of emails like where. 
why do people like Wade Miley leave the Mariners and suddenly become great? You know, that old, that old uh, storyline that we've talked about for years and it's really not as often as you think, but when it does happen, it just makes you shake your head. I wonder getting back to that. I think that Aaron Sanchez trade will be underrated. It was underrated. I mean, yeah, he stunk this year, but this is a guy who won an ERA title and was an all-star yeah. and he has legit stuff and whatever special sauce mm-hmm. or magic dust that they, the Astros have with pitchers. It was apparent right away. Like when, when that trade happened, I remember we were in the clubhouse or, we, you know, after the trade deadline, we were in the clubhouse just kind of BSing with some players and, and I, I, Seager's like, you know, Aaron Sanchez doesn't have a good record, but you know, it's not a fun at bat against him. And he goes, I'm sure that he's just going to go in and they're going to do their magic. Like they did to Garrett Cole and Charlie Morton. And he'll be coming out and throwing dimes against us. And little did we know four or five <laughs> days later, he was doing just that. Yeah. It's incredible. I mean, Brent Strom, their pitching coach is, is, you know, really highly regarded. Uh, there's got to be something in their analytics or, or mechanical people or something that's able to spotlight flaws or trends that need to be changed. And I think part of it, I think a big part of it now is that they have built up such a reputation as being, you know, pitcher whispers that, that pitchers who come over like Aaron Sanchez, who may have resisted changes in their own organization believe that the Astros have some magic formula and they'd better, you know, pay heed to it. And they actually do what they're told and embrace it. And lo and behold, it, it seems, seems to work. I mean, well, that was one start, but it was a pretty damn good start. We'll see if he, I mean, I could see him being great down the stretch and, uh, um, being the latest, uh, success story for the, for the Astros, but whatever it is, uh, I think other teams should look very closely at what it is. I mean, they, there can't be that many secrets. I mean, if teams could watch these guys and see what it is they're suddenly doing and try and do it themselves and have their pitchers do it too. One thing that they a lot of people believe is that they the Astros believe in taking guys with four-seam fastballs with high spin rates and having them throw that more and elevating it in the strike zone. We saw that with Cole and with Charlie Morton, and they feel like that somehow enhances their breaking ball. Like, Sanchez has got a nasty breaking ball, and it was, you know, it was pointed out, he threw 27 four-seam fastballs in his previous two starts combined with Toronto. He threw 33 in his start with was in his start against the Mariners. So apparently they got it into his head, like, you need to throw this more, and he listened uh, so I think that's part of it, but yeah, like the Mariners have tried to copy that and, and throw up in zone and, and all this stuff. But it's one thing if Marco Gonzalez is elevating 89 and, and, and Garrett Cole's elevating 99, you know, and I think their conditioning yeah. program that they have is pretty good. They, they, they really are pitcher whispers. Maybe, maybe that's where Felix should go. <laughs> well, and these guys, they're not stumble bums either. I mean, Garrett Cole was a number one overall yeah, draft one, pick. One, yeah, and Sanchez, like you said, ERA champ and all-star and a guy that uh, everybody's always raved about their stuff. They they get guys who have the raw tools. Uh, I'm not so sure Felix has the raw tools no. anymore. No, it's true. Uh, I guess we could segue into that. Any more, wait, we'll get back to it. Any more thoughts on the deadline? Like, I, I mean, like, D. Gordon, they weren't going to be able to trade. He was on the DL or the IL. You know, a speed guy with a bad leg isn't going to get traded. And then Santana, I mean – I think, you know, they, they, they approached Cleveland and some stuff, but I think there was some worries. I talked to some people 
some sources like I have, and one of the guys kind of close to the Rays was saying that the Rays had some interest, but they weren't going to get a guy, one, that was hurt, and it was already poor defensively, and then it was also hurt where it would affect his defense. So they, they kind of, yeah, we'll, we'll move on from that. Yeah, it was some bad luck for the Mariners, for Santana uh, to get hurt, and also D. Gordon to get hurt, and Ryan Healy is another guy that would have been in play at the trade deadline. And, you know, he's been hurt for a long time. Strickland got what one outing in at least to show that he was healthy again. But I think he would have, if he had been, if he had stayed healthy and had a good, uh, good season, he would have commanded a lot more on the market. So they, they had a, a, a lot of bad luck and what I'm sure were guys that they were planning to trade all along. Um, you know, they, they did get rid of Jay Bruce and Encarnacion, but I think it just sh- highlights that the, the, uh, you know, the, the real work was done in the off season. They, the, all the guys who had a lot of value were, were traded in the off season. And, you know, I think they'll try again in the next off season to, to dump a few more guys like D Gordon, particularly that, uh, they may have some appeal once they're healthy again. Okay, so we mentioned Felix. Uh, I wrote pretty long story. Wasn't intending to. You know, I went into that day just expecting to do the kind of normal coverage. I didn't even know Felix was throwing a live BP session that day. Uh, but I got to the field earlier than usual, and he's out there throwing it, and, and it looked horrible. I mean, it looked like that first bullpen in spring where the Mariners executive <laughs> said it looks like he hasn't picked up a ball. So he was bad. And and. And I just remember, you know, so we go in to talk to him, you know, and Felix is always willing to talk, but he usually doesn't say very much. And he kind of gives you the couple minutes and he knows what to say, kind of. And then, you know, you're done because he's not going to tell you much more. But he was just kind of reflective. And I think part of it was there's nobody really in the clubhouse. Everybody's out doing stuff. He was kind of done for the day. And then so we, we interview him at his locker and then he goes and sits on the couch. But he's still kind of talking to us. And he's, mm. you know, really just kind of reflective about a lot of stuff. And it was, you know, even at his locker, though, he started talking about how he needs the pitch because he wants to be able to pitch next year. And that's that is not a line that I ever thought. Felix Hernandez would have to utter at least in the time that I covered him, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it was a really good story. And I think some of the bluster and swagger has been sort of knocked aside. That happens when one, you haven't been very good for a few years and you haven't been very healthy. And this year was a little bit of both. Although he did have some early on, I mean, he, he was headed in a promising direction until he got hurt. So you wrote about him and jinxed him. I don't. I, I'm trying to defend myself. Because yeah. <laughs> I think there's going to be a little revisionist history that he was horrible all year this year. And that just oh. isn't the case. That isn't the case. I mean, he had three or four pretty impressive or at least encouraging starts until he then he he got ripped for two or three more and probably wasn't wasn't healthy. But uh, you know, I mean, you got to have somebody who wants you to continue your career. And if his name was not Felix Hernandez, I'm not so sure he'd get signed by anybody. I think he'll get a non-roster minor league uh, contract with an invitation to spring training from someone next year because he is Felix Hernandez. But uh, there's no guarantee that he's going to make uh, a roster. So, uh, I mean, he has a right to want to get out there and pitch and show at least, you know, leave on a good, uh, with a good note and everything. And, uh, you know, I was talking to Matt Calkins today 
over at Seahawks practice, and he on uh, Saturday he went to Everett to watch him with his rehab assignment. And I was saying that it was a no-win situation for Felix because if he dominates 18-year-old kids, it's like, oh, what do you expect? He dominated 18-year-old kids. But if he doesn't, it's like, man, he can't even get out 18-year-old kids. But he did pitch two innings and – got every you know six up six down so i guess that's a little encouraging that uh you know he was throwing strikes and getting getting even you know getting professional uh, hitters out even if they are at the first rung of of the minor leagues yeah that's i i don't know i don't know what to expect like do you think he makes another start i think he makes at least one or two kind of ceremonial starts yeah yeah i know we've we've that's been my steadfast answer a lot of people have written oh he may never appear for the mariners again but as long as he doesn't have an injury setback uh they're gonna throw him out there i mean i, I how can they not um you know he may not go more than three or four innings and he may indeed have a relapse of some sort but yeah i mean there's going to be a lot of uncertainty with him uh it's not going to involve the mariners anymore i think that relationship will be done but for him and his career i mean he's still only what is he 32 33. or has he turned 33 yeah. Uh, yeah still young enough to pitch a lot more years uh you know theoretically but there's also, I mean, Johan Santana was, uh, he is, he, his career track is remarkably similar to Johan Santana's. Um, you know, he, he was on, on the way out by the, about the same age. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's sad. You know, you feel some s- s- sadness for the guy because it's fallen apart, but at the same time, there's some culpability he has sure. some culpability in all this, and we've discussed it so much about kind of his wishy-washy efforts in terms of conditioning and adapting his mindset and addressing his um, his his command issues and his mechanics and all these different things. You know, he always kind of talked a good game about he was going to do all these things, and then we never really saw him do it. Do you think that this situation now of where he's at will really push him going into this offseason? Or is he just who he is? I don't know. I mean, I we had this exact same conversation last year. And yeah. I would have thought he'd been humbled. And I think he did try and adapt to this year. I mean, I don't think this year it's a story of him not adapting. It's a story of him, you know, maybe being too late yeah. to do that and then and getting hurt. But – uh I guess the question is, has he been humbled enough? And it's if it if it if the answer is no, then it will never happen because he is. Uh, I mean, he's a, an afterthought right now on this team, and uh, I mean that's got to be a tough a tough place to be for a guy who was you know one of the elite pitchers in baseball for so long. But I think I think his eliteness is what got him into this mess because he always thought he could uh, recapture that and summon that somehow again and that he didn't need to change for a long, long time. And that was to his, to his ultimate detriment. Yeah. I I just, if, if the last two years of struggles didn't provide enough motivation, I don't know what will. I do think, yeah, you're right. I thought his, his mechanics, he had made some adjustments with his mechanics, got rid of the big leg swing. Um, 
you know, and he was pitching differently for the most part. I thought that he there was uh, a, a change in like not trying to strike everybody out all the time. But I, I just don't know. I don't know what, you know, I think when you've never had to grind like this because you've always been the best guy and you've always had supreme talent, that it, it's hard to click that switch. And you're right, maybe the health, issues that he's experiencing now could have been mitigated if he would have committed three or four years ago. I mean, we always, I always say it, but Raul Abanez always said, if I prepare at 39, prepare for to play at 39 at age 38, I'm not going to be good. You have to start preparing at 36. And I think that was the problem. And, and unfortunately he never realized that. I think guys like Verlander, even CC Sabathia realized it sooner than he did that, that that they had to make a change and they've been able to adapt but he has not and it, it is sad i don't think i don't think he truly understands his fault in all of this either i don't think he gets it yeah i mean i like felix i always have like felix and i you know i'd like to see him have a second act to his his career you know there was a time when he people thought he was borderline hall of fame i you know i i I don't think he's there anymore. I don't. I'm not sure if he'd even get off the first, uh, beyond the first ballot at this point. But uh, I think there's a chance to. There's still a chance at 33. I mean, he'll be 34 shortly after opening day because his birthday's in April. Uh, but you know, Sebastian's pitching until he's 38, 39, 40. If if he can somehow finally reinvent himself and have five years where he's, you know, a pretty good pitcher, then, then maybe the hall of fame comes back into play. And that, that's probably a motivation for him. You know, money is not a motivation because he's made more money than he'll ever need in his life, yeah. but it's, it's pride and legacy now for him. And we'll see how much the, and whether that uh, is enough or whether, you know, he still has the health and desire to do it. Yeah. I, it's been fascinating to write about him in the last few years. And uh, I, I, I've been, I understand it because there's a fickleness there. And I guess I can't really criticize because I'm not a fan. I have been surprised how angry some of the fan base is at him. And there's, it's a frustration level maybe that they want it more than they, they get the sense that he does, um, which not is not necessarily true. Uh, but it has been a, a crazy ride, and I think people forget sometimes he he stayed when everybody else said he should leave. He believed that they could win here. He believed that that he want he wanted to be a part of whatever uh, of a of a winning playoff team in the city, and he believed he could do it, and that he didn't have to leave and go somewhere else. When I think a lot of people around him were telling him that he should leave, and he stayed. You know, and the Mariners rewarded him handsomely but he was going to get paid wherever he went and he stayed and and this organization failed him failed him miserably by not putting commensurate team they wasted many of his best years and it started back way back like even 2008 7 when he was still really strong they wasted those years by being just totally inept yeah and uh I think when all is said and done, uh, you know, fans, I think there's just that cumulative frustration of 17 years, 18 years without the playoffs. And 
he's just another target and for the uh for the pent up anger that fans have but you know when 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 all said and done he will be i think he will be remembered very very fondly for for what you just said i mean 15 he's been with this organization for 15 seasons now and a lot of them he was the, about the only <laughs> good thing they had going or one of the few good things they had going and and he did stay and he did sign contracts and never even went to free agency and i i think he in the in the long run that will be something that will endear him you know he'll he'll be in the mariner hall of fame and all that stuff and uh once the heat of the moment and you know maybe by then the mariners will have actually made the playoffs <laughs> and so fans will have relaxed a little bit and uh uh but i'll be very interested to see where he where he lands in 2020 yeah me too uh, i mean it's the first time he's ever spoke realistically about his future and how uncertain it is because I think in past, and we've asked him about this before, he, he you know, and he has a level of self-confidence that is, that is admirable and a lot of the great pitchers have it. Sometimes you, you, you kind of wonder, hey, man, you got to figure this stuff out because you're not exactly who you think you are. But in past, when we'd ask him about his future, he was, oh, no, I'll be fine. But I think he realizes he's not fine. And that's it was startling to kind of hear that admission, you know, and and we've talked to him on numerous occasions, not always on the record. And that bravado is still there. I think we started to see cracks of it the last few years. But I mean, this year he has been more vulnerable. It was he's been fascinating to write about. I mean, honestly, I mean, everything in the last four years has been completely fascinating to write about. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And uh, I don't know what we're going to do next spring without the uh, uh, Will Felix adapt story. I know. <laughs> but between that and the state of Ichiro story, yeah. you know, we're going to have to really struggle. Yeah. Uh, by the way, is it really true that Ichiro played for the Mariners this year? Yeah. That was this year, right? Yeah, it's felt, it's felt a lot longer than that. So, no. Okay, we'll close up with this. Larry, have you ever seen a pitcher attack a dugout before? <laughs> I mean, I, th- I love I me some Amir Garrett. I think Rob Dibble did that one. Like somebody, <laughs> that somebody was his own dugout. dugout. He yeah, attacked probably Lou. Lou probably dugout. going after Lou. But, um, <laughs> no, that was incredible. I mean, uh, I think he's going to be – I think uh, he's a hero <laughs> in a lot of uh, – uh, dugouts around the uh, the major leagues. There's a lot of animosity towards that Pirates team. Uh, they they have the reputation as being head headhunters. It's I mean team after team accuses them of that. So you have to wonder what's going on. And uh, you know he had just uh, Garrett had just had enough. And uh, but that was uh, incredibly gutsy to take on like 30 guys. <laughs> then again, if I was built like Amir Garrett, I might not be afraid to do that. Although Josh Bell is pretty big, but Amir Garrett is a big dude too. Yeah. Yeah. He played college uh, basketball. What St. John's. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. Six, seven, six, eight. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and he, if he would have landed that first punch on that Williams guy, I got have been done. It kind of glanced him, but he got in a good haymaker right before there. And it kind of glanced off that guy's head. Yeah, yeah, I saw it in slow motion, and at first when I was watching it with the naked eye, I thought, oh, God, he, I mean, that probably saved him from a longer suspension, because if he had just cold-cocked the guy, and uh, that, you know, it might have been a Rudy Tomjanovich yeah. in the Washington situation, but, um, 
there's there's a reference that you're too old, too young. Oh, to I, know. <laughs> I I read the the book on that. So okay, um, yeah, uh, you know, it it also reminds. It was a reminder to me that those kind of brawls just don't happen anymore. They used to be far more frequent. Uh, you know, those real Donny Brooks. Now you may get the dugouts that that empty. And guys mill around, and there's not really much of anything. You know, they've they've really knuckled down on the penalties and everything. But in my youth, and even early in you know my adulthood, you'd have ten of those a year, and they they, you know, the, the the resentment would go for year after year, and you'd, there'd be a kind of tension around uh, two teams that that had these this history, and for the most part, that's gone now. It's you know, it's probably a good thing, uh, it, but it also, you know, there was there was definitely theater with uh, with with some of these uh, some of these fights. Yeah, I talked to Wade Miley or Wade, not Wade Miley, Wade LeBlanc. He pitched for the Pirates. Remember the Mariners traded him to the Pirates for that last yeah. month and a half, and he said that they were in like four fights in a month and a half. He was like, "We have yeah. that. They have that reputation. Teams know it." And he goes, and they. You know, by the end of the season, they're just tired of it, and so you just have all these eruptions. And he said it's, it's kind of not enjoyable in that regard when you're always having to go out there. But he, uh, and he, and you also have to bat too yeah. if you're a pitcher in that, that league, so that, you're a little more vulnerable. Is that Hurdle's deal or what? I think it's got to be Clint Hurdle. I mean, uh, I mean, it's it starts with the manager. I mean, I mean, he's the one that's dictating that, and he, of course, he de- denies all that, but. Um, uh, it's you, you can't have that many teams that think that. It's also uh, I I was quite amused by David Bell. Yeah, did he have the red a, ass that bad when he, he was playing here? He did. I mean, he was a he was a kind of a stealth uh, red ass guy. But he yeah he was he was intense and he was fiery and he was known for having a temper. And uh, you know he's been ejected I think eight times this year. And that's part of the reason he got suspended for as long as he did. If you read the press release, it was like the press release was kind of comical, but in 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 listing why everybody was suspended, but one of the reasons why was because he had been ejected so many times that that this was sort of a uh, cumulative penalty for for all of that. But you know, I think uh, you know he's a. a I like a, I love the term stealth red ass. That's a great line. <laughs> and they should have kept him instead of getting uh, uh, Jeff Cirillo, who I love Jeff Cirillo. He's a friend of mine. Uh, ran across, I ran across him a lot now that he's coaching youth baseball, but uh, uh, that team went from 116 wins and has gone nothing but, you know. Oh, we blame Cirillo. It, Way to it's go. Not Cir- no, it's not Cirillo's fault, but uh, – and, um, you know, Bell was a pretty good third baseman for him. Yeah, I remember my internship year in 2000, I talked to him. He was always a good talker. I mean, he talked. He was, like, I talked to him about defense. I think I did a story just on John Olerud and how many, at that point, how many time, how many balls or how many throws he thought John Olerud saved for the infield that year, you know, and it was just kind of, I think it was about mid-June, and he was just talking about how it doesn't matter what he, you know, it just was like when you have a guy like Olerud there, you just had that confidence. No matter what you did, he would come up with it. So you could take all kinds of risks and chances while playing in the field because he was so mm-hmm. good. Yeah, he was really great about it. Um, but, yeah, I don't uh, 
Yeah, I don't know. That was pretty funny. I was. I mean, what's even crazy? What if Puig gets hurt in that fight when there's a trade on the table? Yeah, not only on the table, but I, I think it had been done already. Yeah. I mean, uh, which is why was he still in uniform is a good question. But uh, yeah, I mean, he ended up getting suspended for the for his new team, which is another uh, interesting. Uh, aspect of this yeah if he'd gotten hurt and that whole big trade had to be scuttled i mean that was a major trade bauer trevor bauer going to cincinnati and and puig going to it was a three-way trade i mean that would i don't know what they would have done had he gotten hurt that's pretty crazy all right uh you're going out to the park tomorrow i am yeah i think i am it's been a while I, i got wrapped up in uh in football and training camps and all that and uh so I, th- I feel like it's time to to go back out there. Plus, uh, this is Edgar Week. Oh yeah, I got. Oh, you got to sell some books. Edgar, like, you got to sell <laughs> some books. <laughs> no, that was not my thought. <coughs> Liar. Now that you mention it, Edgar yeah. an autobiography available at bookstores everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, <laughs> including have... Costco. It's now at Costco, which is I... uh, which was uh, totally a surprise to me and very welcome. Yeah, that was that was. Um... Yeah, that was, it was pretty interesting seeing that there. I went to Costco the other day, and it was a it was a port in the storm of uh, <laughs> the the hell that is Costco. Did you get the berry sundae at the uh, at the snack bar? No, I don't eat. Uh, I can't do that. It's not my thing. <laughs> I'm not. Uh... Slice of pizza and the berry sundae. That's my uh, that's my Costco go to. Hey, yeah. we didn't. We got like two minutes. We'll wrap it up quick. We didn't talk about our trip, our dad's trip, did we? Oh, we didn't, did we? No. Uh, also, I think if you listen closely, Mariano Rivera's speech is still going. <laughs> God. And he still hasn't acknowledged any of his fellow inductees. Yeah. Like that was what struck me about Mariano's speech was every other uh, guy, you know, gave a nice shout out to the to to the to the guys who were enshrined with them but mariano was so self absorbed that he'd never mentioned you know edgar or uh, lee smith or any of the other guys um, yeah so you guys know we talked about it on the on the last podcast but um preview we t- i took my dad larry took his son we we did the fathers and sons trip that i i admit we survived somehow um hmm. There was only one eruption of anger, and it was at my. It was the last day, and we were driving, and it was some f bombs being flung at my dad. My, me and my dad were flinging back and forth while Larry and his son were in the back seat. About we were looking at each other. My son was kind of looking at me with the mouth agape, like, "What's going on?" Yeah, it was about my driving, which that is has been a a topic of consternation for a long time now. So. When I'm when I'm expected, uh, you know, it was a great it was a great father and son trip for me and my son. But one one thing I wasn't expecting was how much time that my son had spent with your dad because we were working. So there was more than one occasion where they were we were by necessity they were left to wander the streets of Cooperstown uh, for hours while we worked. (laughs) It's just soul crushing heat to shirt ruining heat. And yeah, that was the only time that my son's good humor waned was after the induction. You know, they oh, they got they had, lost. They had been sitting in the heat for four hours because it was a long ceremony, and they we got there an hour and a half ahead of time. You know, to 
because we had to get make sure we had a good seat and all that stuff. And so after that, then of course Ryan and I had to write, and there was really nowhere for them to go. So they took off toward. We had a friend who had rented a house, and they were going to have a barbecue. So they decided to go to the barbecue, but they got lost. And my son called me up, and he was really yeah, he was uh, hot. My dad called was, me and yelled at me. It was. Yeah, yeah, but that that wasn't nearly as bad as the the driving because that was it was raining. I was angry. There was yelling. <laughs> but that aside, there were a lot of magical moments too. Oh, yeah. The uh, Saturday night, uh, the reception at the Hall of Fame, where we got to see you know. Uh, your dad was so thrilled to see Reggie Jackson yeah. and and you know Cal Ripken just one at you know they were all there almost all Sandy wasn't there to my chagrin but um, you know virtually every Hall of Famer who was in town was at this reception and I you know you Brian and I were like poking my son or your dad saying look there's uh, Paul Molitor there's uh, Raleigh Fingers and that was cool and then the uh, and then the Mariners party uh, where for 15 minutes we experienced the hardest rainstorm I think I've ever been in. Uh, fortunately, we were under a tent. But my dad got was... stuck in the bathroom because he was up <laughs> on top there. Uh, but that whole thing with all the Mariners greats there, and uh, you know, introduced my son to Ken Griffey Jr. and Dan Wilson and Jay Buhner and and you know heroes of his and that was so that was that was really good too yeah griffey continually going up to my dad and apologizing that i was his son was pretty enjoyable <laughs> too he thought that was the best thing ever that's your son yeah i'm sorry <laughs> yeah and then that whole ceremony where you know they toasted edgar and there were some speeches yeah they even and thanked us they even thanked us which yeah. was real nice and we got to take and then tim heavily the Mariners PR guy gathered all the writers and plus Shannon and a, a few other media types. And we took a, a great picture, you know, that I'll treasure with Ed, all of us surrounding Edgar. Um, that, uh, you know, that was a, that was a nice touch as well. Yeah, it was great. I, I'm, it was really good. I don't want to have to do it in six years when each row goes in. That'll be all you. Well, I won't say the R word retirement, but, uh, We'll see. We'll see. But uh, I'm looking for Lou in about three years when he goes back on the oh, that's on, the, on the ballot. Yeah. yeah I, I, I mean, I, I I would not want to miss that. I want to be there when Lou goes in. Well, you can and Ichiro. I would like to be there when Ichiro goes you in. You can do well. they're, they're expecting the largest crowd ever for Ichiro, so you can do that as well. I will. <laughs> you're retire. You're gonna. You're, you do the retirement word. You're the R word for retirement. I'm going to do the. I don't know what, our, what uh, word I would use to describe me in five or six years when Ichiro goes in. Uh, B bartender. <laughs> can I, after I retire, can I be your assistant bartender? Yeah, of the, course. Yeah. Missoula or yeah. something. Missoula oh. will hang out. We'll have a bar. We'll have baseball all day. I'll be a lot happier. There's a, I don't know if my wife would go for that. You, she's never been are, to Missoula. If she's been to what? Missoula, she'd love it. Well, yeah, we have not been. We're, we're planning at some point to, do the uh, national parks in Montana, but uh, maybe we'll stop at Missoula. Your dad was, you know, we we were on the road for hours driving from Boston to Cooperstown and Cooperstown to Boston, and a lot of the time your dad was extolling the virtues of Montana, 
uh, and describing the glacier. What's it called? Glacier. Glacier National Park. Yes. National Park, and, and uh, it worked because I, I really want to go now and check it out. All right. Well, we'll end on that. It was there was some. It was fun. I, I will say this. It was you know, like a lot of people. Like you know, when you have your parents alive, you got to take advantage. I have friends that don't do that, and I was really uh, excited. I got to take my mom to Japan this year. I took my dad to Cooperstown. I will be taking myself with no parents to a beach for the next vacation. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and same with my kids and, yeah, yeah. you know, also my parents. But yeah. uh, I also got to see my daughter who, yeah. lived, who was interning in uh, Boston. So um, the first night, we, we, I gave Ryan credit for this. He made the brilliant, and I'm not being sarcastic, decision to fly to Boston rather than Chicago uh, because we ran into all kinds of trouble when we went through Chicago for the Griffey induction three years ago. Uh, and this year, everyone who went through Chicago had trouble. You know, Chris Egan spent hours and hours and, and you know, one, one horror story after another. And we sailed right into Boston and sailed right out without any delays at all. But we spent that Wednesday night that we flew in and we went to Fenway and sat in the outfield and watched uh, the Red Sox play the Blue Jays. And uh, not only did I have my son with me, but I, I also uh, had my daughter who went to the game and we got to hang out. So uh, that was good. it was a double kid trip for me. Yeah, no, it was fun. I, I would definitely, I don't know I'd do it again that way, but <laughs> I'm glad we did it, so... All right, I'm losing my voice for whatever reason. All right. Um, it must Let's, be the air conditioning. So we'll wrap it up. Uh, and Larry, you write, what are you going to write tomorrow? Anything for your preview? I'm writing about Kyle Seeger, so read the paper. <laughs> I'm not writing for tomorrow, but Tuesday for Wednesday, I'll probably do something, some sort of assessment of the step back. I think you should do it Wednesday for Thursday or Thursday for Friday. Thursday. What's that? Thursday, because there's an off day Thursday. I don't want to work. Uh, there's another off day. They've had more I off days so. in the last three weeks. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I know. So we'll, be, uh, we'll figure it out. Well, there's a little thing called a uh, uh, a Seahawks exhibition game on Thursday, and then yeah, that's uh, why there is no yeah. So you could have it in the can. I will be writing off the Seahawks oh, game. Sorry fine. about that. Fine. Six but I ten. will write Tuesday for Wednesday, and you're going to have to do the Mariner off day. Okay. Fine. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll wrap it up. Thanks, man. All right. See ya. This has been the Extra Innings Podcast presented by the Seattle Times with your host, Ryan Divish. Thanks to the Midnight Salvage Company for providing the beds and bumper music for the podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. You can reach Ryan via email, rdivish at seattletimes.com. Follow Ryan on Twitter, at Ryan Divish, or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Ryan Divish. Thanks for listening. 